listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, your host. I've got Kaylee Wells on the program. Kaylee's a reporter with KCRW covering climate, environment, and public health. Kaylee's podcast, the Anti-Dread Climate Podcast, is is something I think is very interesting and intriguing. Recent guest of ours was talking kind of about it, uh, Paul Bledsoe, and uh, lots of young people are feeling dread about a future that could be cataclysmic. Uh, how does one address this fear because they are real and potentially devastating consequences to a warming planet and the increasing amount of pollutants that are being emitted and not uh, scare the hell out of people and promote dread? So these are some of the questions I look forward to discussing with Kaylee. Kaylee, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Matt. I'm glad to be here. So uh, tell us a little bit about your path to to uh, the environmental movement and what what led you to this place? Yeah, um, I it's not something that I knew I wanted to do until I had started my journalism career. Knew I wanted to be a reporter. Um, knew I really liked radio, and I, I sort of I sort of talk about uh, people becoming aware of climate changes as, as um, like you have a big aha moment. You have a big oh wait shoot this is really scary moment. Um, I don't feel like I I remember the exact day, but I know it was right around 2018 where I thought, oh, shoot, wait, everything that everyone is talking about regarding this big, scary threat is actually really big and scary. And I feel like I really need to do something about it. Um, I think a lot of people suffer with the sort of climate anxiety, climate doom and don't know what to do with it. Um, I have found one of the most cathartic ways to handle that is to do something, feel like I'm making a difference. And so I sort of threw my whole career and all of my professional efforts behind that uh, goal. And KCRW luckily uh, was willing to continue to fund that effort. (laughs) They formalized my position as a climate reporter, which I've uh, had ever since. That's fantastic. So, um, so why why uh, reporting? Why journalism? What was uh, what was kind of the spark behind that interest? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, I knew I wanted to be a writer because that was the harder thing for me in school growing up. I was much better with numbers, but I found it was much more challenging to be a storyteller. Um, I think a lot of young people decide they want to help people and you can either sort of it's like where on the funnel do you want to be lower in the funnel where you're like a doctor and you're saving fewer lives or do you want to be higher on the funnel where you're connecting with thousands or millions of people um but maybe not helping them to the point of saving their lives so i decided i'm happier more at the top of this funnel i wanted to help more people um i think keeping people informed um is incredibly important um i i really believe in in what journalism does um, balancing what people need to know, answering what they want to know, hun- handling all of that. Um, that's sort of how I, I stumbled into journalism, knew I wanted to write, knew I wanted to help people, knew I wanted to touch a lot of people. And that's kind of where we landed. Yeah, that's a, a good story. I, I guess I'm, I'm intrigued as somebody who's doing something similar as to kind of who the target audience is for your climate uh, show? Is it uh, is it mostly young people, or are you targeting people throughout the age spectrum? I would say throughout the age spectrum. I know whenever we uh, you know market something like this, you have to be much. You have to be really specific in like the person. Um, I know one of the exercises is to name a person and come up with exactly who they are. 
and so, yes, young people, but also the parents of young people and anyone in between. Um, that's why my co-host is, is a mom, uh, because I think a lot of our listeners aren't just the young people who are facing the fact that they are bearing the weight of this big, scary thing, but also their parents who are having young people ask really big, scary questions that they don't really know the answers to. Um, so I would say, you know, we've got sort of Gen Alpha all the way through Gen Z. And then I'd say most of millennials because millennials are sort of currently parents um, or considering being parents or maybe deciding they're at that point in their lives where they're deciding whether or not to be parents um, anywhere in that spectrum. Yeah, I, I noticed you had an episode recently, Should I Have Children? And that's a that's a very challenging question. And tell us a little bit about how how that hashed out uh, during the episode. Yeah, that's a really big, scary question. Um, and it's also a really controversial one. I'm really fascinated by the fact that it is one of the largest climate actions we choose to either engage in or not. Um, and yet it's something that we don't feel like we can talk about. As soon as you start discussing someone's reproductive decisions um, and their family planning, everybody gets really freaked out about it. Um, it's whether whether or not you have a kid ends up being such a big deal in terms of your climate impact, because it's not just the impact of yourself, but now yourself and the person or people you create and the entire group of people that they create after them. Um, so that's really big and gnarly and scary. And I think there's a lot of people who are struggling with that. Um, our studies have shown that an increasing number of people continue to struggle with that. And the reason I really wanted to touch it is because I'm one of the people who struggles with that. I'm in my late 20s. I've been happily married for five years. Um, as a woman, a lot of people like to ask me that question. <laughs> and so um, I felt that it's it's appropriate to be really open about the fact that I don't have an answer and that climate change is one of the big factors that's determining whether or not I end up doing that. Um, I want to create a space where people feel safe to ask that and feel like they can trust that we will be careful with trying to answer it. Yeah, there's there are people all along that spectrum. I had on this show a while back, uh, Paul Ehrlich, who had kind of, I mean, for the last 50 or 60 years, but talking about kind of like population bomb type issues and the effect on kind of, you know, feeding the world. And, and of course, the challenges of feeding the world did create environmental problems downstream, uh, all the way to you have your Elon Musk types who say, hey, you know, 10 kids is not enough. So like there are there are voices all along the spectrum and it's it is confusing, I think, to people to where where is where is the reasonable uh, place on that that bell curve? Yeah. And, and I think where is the reasonable place is a really personal question and probably has a unique answer to you. Um, one of the big points that um, people in that sort of intersection of climate and family planning will say is it's not necessarily how many kids you have, it's how impactful those kids are. You could have three children that have a smaller impact than two children. Um, the, the question that I then face is, you know, when you're talking about zero and one, no matter how many, you know, if, if I have one kid, no matter how amazing that kid is, they're going to need fresh water and fresh water is finite. They're going to need clothes. They're going to need to be able to move around. Um, and so 
yes, the answer is different from person to person. And yes, there are ways to make a responsible decision anywhere along that bell curve, almost anywhere along that bell curve. Um, but it's a really scary, challenging one that's really controversial. Yeah, I think it's important to talk about these things. And tell us about how you see your show kind of creating changes in behavior or motivating people to act. My hope is that at the at its foundation, it inspires people to believe that their actions do make a difference. That's why our very first question was, does anything I do matter? <laughs> Um, and then, you know, with each episode, we discuss, okay, well, here's an action that matters and here's an action that matters and answering questions that way. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of my colleagues in climate journalism have done a really good job of raising awareness of the climate issue and um, convincing people that it's a big, scary thing that we need to care about. I think this podcast is sort of a, we like a working title once upon a time was Climate 102. The people have already figured that part out. And are now deciding what to do about it. And so instead of getting those people to be so afraid that they bury their heads in the sand, say, nothing I do will matter. And just sort of, you know, why not drink the good wine was a phrase someone said to me recently. Um, instead, you know, pulling them out, saying they're there, we're going to be okay. But take all that energy and try and recycle it into a way that's going to be productive for people. My hope is that that podcast sort of gives people um, permission to be hopeful that they can participate in the solution and that what they do is effective at, you know, mitigating, adapting, combating the climate emergency. Well, tell us, where do you uh, draw your hope from looking at uh, the potential cataclysm of uh, global warming going off the rails? Uh, you know, yeah. where do you, do you really see that happening or do you see that as being uh, a little bit of catastrophizing by various people out there? I think, <laughs> let me start by saying where I do not draw it from. <laughs> I know, you know, uh, one of the arguments I've heard is, well, humanity has has overcome every challenge that has faced it, that it has faced so far. Um, and that every person alive always feels like, well, the thing that's happening during the time that they're alive is the biggest, scariest thing that humanity has faced. I still believe that that's true. Like, I still think climate change is the biggest, scariest thing that humanity has faced. And so that argument never fully works for me. There's also the argument that life finds a way no matter what. That one doesn't work for me either, because whether or not life finds a way is not the same as whether or not humanity finds a way. So I I have to reject those and find a third middle something. And my answer to that is just, I, I am always really heartened by how resilient and adaptable humanity can be. And while I don't feel that there is proof in our history that this is a challenge we will for sure overcome, I'm watching it happen. And I know that we're not hitting the, you know, the the deadlines, the 1.5 degrees Celsius line, um, the, you know, lowering this amount of methane by 2030, like those are big, scary deadlines that it's looking more and more likely we won't pass, which means that there will be big effects about climate from climate change and that they will be really scary. But I feel really confident that even if we come a little late to this party, I really think we're going to be able to show up and I think we'll be able to do it really well eventually. I don't even oh. necessarily have a great reason I'm for gonna, why. <laughs> I'm going to 
let the the uh, the listeners be on edge, uh, waiting for the next segment to let you finish your answer. You listen to a climate change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Kaylee Wells, reporter with KCRW, who covers climate and environment, public health, on the show, and we'll be right back in just one minute. to a climate change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Kaylee Wells, a reporter from KCRW, on the program. Uh, Kaylee, right before the break, we were talking about what gives you hope, and you were explaining kind of uh, why you thought, hey, there's, there is hope for humanity. We've pulled a lot out of the fire. And, and after doing this for about three years myself of really interviewing lots of in- incredible people, I, I do think there is cause for optimism that we are making a lot of progress. It's kind of all over the place, but it's it's pretty amazing what we humans are capable of at our best. So I see lots of reasons for hope. Uh, uh, I interviewed a guy named Tony Pan, who's a young guy like under 40 who has 250 patents, who's figured out a way to strip carbon off of natural gas and create clean hydrogen as well as another carbon compound that that you can use for asphalt uh you know so people like that kind of give me cause for hope um what maybe i'll let you kind of finish up your answer on that front since i cut you off a bit sure yeah i think i stories like that people who are finding solutions um more exciting are the ones that then pick up and take off you know the difference in when I started sort of paying attention, becoming an adult maybe 10 years ago. And now, just in that period of time, there's already been a remarkable change in the percentage of energy, especially in California here, the percentage of energy that's coming from renewable sources um, and 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 other things that are cause for celebration, um, the you know composting laws that are getting passed and, and things like that. And so when I think, well, all of that changed just since I, you know, became an adult, think of how much more I'm going to get to witness in, you know, 30 years, 40 years. And I think about how lucky I am that I get to be in the generation that's going to witness humanity figure this out. Like, I just can't shake the feeling that we're going to, we're going to figure it out. And even though I don't fully know how yet, I feel really good when I watch us do it every day that we're getting closer. Yeah, no doubt that uh, people are doing amazing work, and and that's cause for rejoicing. Um, though we've got a long ways to go, and and uh, where do you see kind of your call to action to people in terms of doing little things or doing lots of different things? What what do you think? Um, it, you know, you're shooting for in in communicating your message. Um, I think. One of the one of the sort of frustrating things we say before any answer, basically in every episode, is it depends depends on your situation, depends on you as a person, what you're capable of doing. So, you know, I can't say, well, I really want to convince everybody that they need to stop eating cheeseburgers. You know, I can't. That's that's not feasible for every person that listens. Um, but I 
really like the idea of shooting for um, something we talk about in our very first episode, which is the tipping point. This idea that once you have roughly one in six people doing something, it becomes normalized. And once something is normalized in your community, more and more people start to jump on that bandwagon that, you know, the sort of inertia tips and now you have done, it's now mainstream. Um, a really good example of that in California, one in, I think, three new cars uh, bought in California in the last quarter were electric. Now you look around, it's really hard to drive on the freeway and you don't see an electric car. That's pretty normalized now. We've sort of hit that tipping point. Um, so when we talk about individual actions, if I just talk about whether or not I drive an electric car, that's not going to make a huge difference. But if I am part of this tipping point, then we start to see a difference. And so I hope with my listeners, I'm able to help them realize the benefit of being part of that sort of first group that leads everyone else into normalizing, mainstreaming um, climate-friendly action. Well, certainly I, I had heard about California being in the vanguard back when I was in law school in New Orleans at the time. And I, I think that that's been true. I mean, it's been true for probably 100 years that California has been in the vanguard of social change and uh, legal change and, and now environmental change. Um, so that's exciting to kind of be a part of here in California is we're seeing that we can do it. We can make this change whether it's to electric vehicles or doing things more sustainably, improving the air quality in in California with um, changing the, the laws regarding smog that gets emitted from cars and things of that nature. Um, you mentioned cheeseburgers, and I'm going to I'm going to, you know, go back to that one, because that's something that everybody kind of can address on a day to day basis. Um, are are you uh, somebody who's changed your diet to to address climate change? I have. Um, we actually have a food episode coming out in our second season, so I will talk more about that. But yes, I have changed my diet. I'm not going to say I am fully vegetarian. Um, and and one of the things that makes it hard to change your diet is when you think of it as I am denying myself certain pleasures, like. God, I love a fried chicken sandwich. <laughs> and so those are still part of my life. Um, but I I cut certain things out. I, I don't buy meat at the grocery store anymore. So now when I eat meat, it's because I'm eating out and it's a treat. Um, I've decided that beef is basically for, you know, fancy wedding occasions. If I'm going to go somewhere and steak is an option, I'm probably going to eat beef a couple times a year. Um I've decided pork is just not in the cards anymore because it wasn't that important to me to give up anyway. But it's the idea of I, I have decided to make um, more climate impactful foods that I love and can't imagine living without and make them a treat. Ice cream is probably never going to leave my life, but um, there is a lot more broccoli and carrots in it than there used to be. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, in a similar boat. I'm more or less pescatarian, but I, you know, I've been certainly known to eat some red meat, so I'm not quite, quite willing to jump into the boat yet. But um, yeah, I think that all of us can make changes along that spectrum, and and it may the tipping point for everybody is at a different place. So I have friends who are more 
you know, they're vegan or whatever. And I, I applaud that effort. I'm just not quite there. But I think that even if I'm not willing to go full vegan, I can reduce the amount of dairy that I consume, the amount of red meat that I consume, the amount of meat in general, and and probably cut down on fish too, because, you know, fish a lot of times isn't ethically raised or farmed or not sustainable. According to some of my guests, uh, they kind of puncture the uh, the illusion that uh, somehow fishing is, is sustainable in any in any way, shape, or form, which is sad because I enjoy it a lot. But, you know, these are the things that we may have to alter in order to save the the whole planet, the ecosphere for everybody. Yeah. And and I think, um, I can't remember who says the quote, but the idea of something like this doesn't come from one person doing it perfectly. It's a billion people doing it imperfectly. Um, I, I feel that way too, that I maybe I'll have a vegan day and I celebrate it and think, wow, I, I really, I did a good job today. And there are more of those days than there used to be. But I'm, you know, if I cut 80% of the meat in my diet, then I've cut 80% of the meat in my diet. That's better than cutting 0% of the meat because I'm not willing to go 100% of the way. I think it's absolutely worth doing. And, you know, we're talking about diet, but that's true of a lot of different um climate decisions you make and how many times you get on a plane and how many times you get in a, on a train instead of in a car and all of all of those decisions it's worth trying to do imperfectly because that still makes a difference so what do you what do you believe are the top five things that you're you know addressing or think are, are most impactful or do you limit your list to five things i mean it's what what do you think um if you had to talk to your listeners and say, hey, these are the things that I think are most impactful, what would those things be? I I was surprised by, we, we did an episode on this where someone asked that question, and I was surprised by the number of answers that were about doing things in the community, not just like doing something about your own personal carbon impact. Um, the first one that our expert said was vote. Uh, which totally makes sense because, you know, we had a bunch of plastic bags in California and then they banned plastic bags and we have significantly fewer. Like that was because some people voted in a person who decided that that was going to be a bill that they were going to write. Um, getting involved in local climate initiatives was number two. Uh, again, not something I think of necessarily, but you create a community garden and now there is a place at my farmer's market where I can bring my compost that didn't exist five years ago. Uh Personal actions is definitely among those top five uh, within personal actions. I'd say how you eat, how you move, and how you heat and light up your home. Um, and then I would put, I, I don't know if we've done three or four or five, but I'm going to say the last one is talking to your friends and family about it. Because you doing anything in a vacuum is not nearly as effective as when you do something and then you are able to communicate that to the people closest to you um, and affect change by inspiring them to do it as well. Those are, uh, those are great things. And I think everybody can focus on those. They're very doable and very much in line with the anti-dread climate podcast that you're doing there over at KCRW. Uh, you listen to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter. I've got Kaylee Wells, reporter with KCRW on the show. And uh, we'll be back in just one minute. Change the world if we do it 
You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, and I've got Kaylee Wells, reporter from KCRW, who covers climate, environment, and public health. Uh, Kaylee, kind of wanted to circle back to uh, a couple of things that we had talked about earlier, um, but a little bit different vein. Who are your role models uh, when you started kind of beginning down this path towards uh, you know, dedicating kind of your professional career to to uh, investigating climate change? Wow, that is a big question. Um, I mean, the, f- the first name that comes up for me um, is Sammy Roth at the LA Times. Uh, the reason I mentioned him is because I've grown up in Los Angeles. Uh, the LA newspaper is where I learned how to play a crossword and read a comic and read the stocks. And um, he's sort of become the the biggest face of climate coverage at the paper that I grew up with. And I've always been impressed by the kind of topics that he um, broaches uh, and his ability to make them really interesting uh, and and question solutions. Um, I'm a big fan of that. I have been a major NPR fan my whole career. So I'll pick, you know, climate desk people like Becky Hersher and, and Nate Rott uh, over at NPR. Um, their ability to make topics conversational, even though they're big and sciencey and scary. Um, I really think trying to make something as heady and in a lot of ways invisible as climate change, you know, we can't see heat, but we can feel it, you know, things like that. Um, their ability to make that interesting um, and and conversational, I think, are is incredibly inspiring and so important if we're going to get people to care about this kind of thing. If I'm going to go back even earlier, uh, I'll talk about when I was a young adult, the um, the Green brothers, Hank Green and John Green. And Hank Green is a super nerdy science YouTuber guy. Um, he has a show called SciShow, and he's all about same thing, like embracing nerdiness, making it fun to talk about things that might seem dweeby. <laughs> um, I think that's also important. And so I try and convey that sort of sense of fun and wonder that you can get from science topics and bring that into climate, even though climate has sort of this extra weight of, uh, you know, doom and deadlines and all of that. Um, I try to convey that too. All of those people definitely influence my reporting. Well, it is kind of the ultimate science project and we're all pieces of the uh, experiment. So uh, I would say one of the challenges that I see when we're, you know, talking about these issues is the complexity of it and that there are so many different systems in play and and that that can kind of make people, even who are in the field, make their head spin at the complexity of it. How do you deal with that kind of complexity? Because there, there are so many things going on, whether it's the uh, ice melting on the in the Arctic or permafrost melting in Siberia and methane being emitted all over the world. All of these different things are are challenging for many people to get their their arms around. Yeah. Um, and I, the other thing I think of when you mention things like that are if we talk about a system, say, um, you know, organics recycling or recycling, and I'm I'm reporting about the city of Los Angeles, the city of Burbank could have a completely different system. Like it's really hard to say, well, here are the steps for how to solve a problem 
when the steps are completely different depending on your address. Um, and if we talk about the, you know, melting ice in the Arctic, that feels so far away that I can't imagine what I can do in Los Angeles and how that's going to affect the ice in the Arctic. Um, so what I try and do is find like tangible evidence that is visible and is happening in your life. It is affecting what you do day to day. Um, and I try and come up with solutions that are either applicable across zip codes or city lines or county lines, or that I, I try to provide tools that can get applied across those places. Um, so here's how to find the information that is most important based on your zip code instead of, well, here's how it works in this zip code and hopefully it's the same over there. Um, so yeah, trying to make things tangible and trying to provide people sort of the tools, the idea of like teaching someone to fish instead of feeding them a fish. Well, it's, that's a that's a great thing. And uh, I've often heard the phrase, think globally and act locally. And uh, I guess for some of us who want to think globally, uh, it is important to have people who are willing to plant our feet in the ground and say, hey, let's let's uh, go from these kind of philosophical almost discussions about the Arctic ice, which very few of us have ever been to the Arctic, um, to, hey, what can we do here in Los Angeles or wherever you may be um, and get something done? Um, so taking the example of the Arctic ice, what would you say? Would you say uh, to address something like that or just pivot and just go purely local? So if you were to make a point about the Arctic ice, um, I assume we're talking about the fact that it is melting. <laughs> and right. so I would try and make that relevant to someone living nearby. Um, 2023, globally hottest year. Uh, wasn't even that hot in Southern California. So now we've, we're having a difficult time making it relevant here, but we still can, there's still gonna be a heat wave. So there's still a good time to talk about um, the fact that it is hotter in some parts of LA than others. We can talk about urban heat island effect. We can talk about how the city is doing in combating that. Um, and if they're doing a good enough job handling that kind of thing, we can talk about the importance of tree canopy and how that is helpful both in changing the temperature where you live, but also capturing carbon and therefore decreasing the temperature over in the Arctic. I mean, these are just like off the top of my head, ways to make things relevant far away. Um, I think it is possible to do things like that, no matter what we're talking about. The Arctic ice is just an example. Well, that's uh, very well done. And I, I'd say um, just to segue into, we have now a plant a tree uh, for every new person who follows or subscribes to our uh, podcast. So if anybody subscribes they can have a tree planted in their honor so we're trying to that. increase the amount of tree planting around the planet and people can talk to us about where they'd like their tree planted because there's great organizations out there that that plant trees all over the, the globe and have a good track record of making sure that those trees stay you know stay growing and that's important too so I, I think that any little thing that we can be involved in to, to connect us to the movement, I can say just personally, uh, there were lots of years that I was cognizant of the problem, but I didn't take any action. And so uh, as 
as somebody who can maybe point to here's some credible or there, here's some useful ways that we can take some modest amount of action is is a great first step. So, um, yeah. and I would also add that um, taking small steps like that are also amazing for your own, you know, mental health. Like if you sit and say, well, I'm not going to participate in the climate solution because there's no point. You're, you're really challenging your own um, mental resilience. And so, you know, why, why make that so hard for yourself? Like not only are you helping the planet when you participate in something like that, but you're also getting involved in your community. Um, you are providing yourself with control by choosing to take an action and that sort of agency combats the feeling of anxiety and doom and hopelessness. Um, and all of that makes you more resilient so that you can continue to be a part of the climate solution instead of sort of suffering from that burnout problem. This is another episode that we have coming up in the second season. Um, there are plenty of selfish reasons to get involved in the climate solution as well um, to, to sort of help your mental health all while helping the planet too. Yeah, that's very true. And I think that all of us have uh, suffered the consequences of being uh, tethered to our devices uh, much of the day. And uh, so this is an opportunity to get out of self and get out of uh, just dealing with devices and, and deal with real people and take some action that is uh, different than scrolling, doom scrolling through news or YouTube videos or whatever. Yeah. And like, go outside, like go find an action that doesn't involve participating in something online, go plant a tree or help in your community garden or do a beach cleanup. If you live near the beach, you know, all of the, the there are so many things that communities will provide for you to be able to, to participate that are free and affordable. They're just there waiting for you. Exactly. So uh, to that end, everybody go to a climatechange.com and uh, sign up and get your your tree and uh, also, you know, go online to check out all the different organizations in your community that are doing this type of work. Uh, we we started working with a an organization, one percent for the planet and that one percent of uh, the law office proceeds that I work at uh, go towards 5,800 different environmental organizations around the world. So there are just so many different opportunities for people to connect in, in, in the way that makes sense for them. And I think uh, most people don't know how many different places there are to, to, uh, to work with. Yeah, I, I continue to be surprised, even in my um, field. I, I continue to find new places that are doing something. Um, even when I walk outside or I go to the booth at the farmer's market, I find something new. There's always something there. So the message is keep your eyes open and uh, tune in to uh, to listen to Kaylee's program at KCRW, um, the Anti-Dread Climate Podcast, as well as a climate change at climatechange.com. And we'll be right back with Kaylee to talk further about the work that she's doing to connect uh, everybody here in LA to be not scared about the uh, climate crisis, but to be in action.
listening to a Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, and I've got Kaylee Wells on the program. Uh, Kaylee, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, listeners asking you questions and how you go through the process of determining which of the listener questions will become episodes. Yeah, I the um, the sheer enthusiasm <laughs> with which the questions poured through the first time we asked for them was proof enough that there was a need for a podcast like this. Um, we started with a call out on air, um, on our socials, uh, on our website, and we are now up to, we have more than 200 of them. Um, when we decide what is most appropriate for the show, we choose something that is actionable um, because we get a lot of questions that are like, you need to talk about big ag and all the problems. Okay. That's that's there's legitimate there's legitimacy to that problem, um, but that's not necessarily going to leave our listener with something that they can go home and do today or t- next week. Um, we try and choose things that have a tangible answer. There are plenty of big scary questions that there's. It's just too. It depends. Um, something as specific as what do I do when I need to recycle, but it's got the number five on it. You know, like, like I said, zip code to zip code, there's a really different answer for a question like that. Um, When you, when you have those boxes that need checked, all of a sudden those hundreds of questions and you take out the repeats because there are a lot of repeats, then you're down to like a couple dozen. Um, And so at least so far, <laughs> as the podcast has gotten more popular, we are seeing a higher number of questions trickle in as we go. Um, but that generally, that's how we end up choosing what actually makes it on the show. And we need a listener who's willing to come on and and ask the question, be recorded, so that we can have the audience be able to relate to somebody. Right. Well, that's uh, it's interesting how you're going about doing it because. Uh, I guess um, the big ag question, I would say, oh, well, that that kind of sounds interesting to me. Why not? Uh, why not go talk about big ag and I, I don't know, a relationship to farmers markets or what we can do to kind of shift consumer behavior um, or voting for different you know, laws that that would uh have big ag be treated differently here in in California or more locally. Yeah. And there are times when we are excited enough about a topic that we will sort of work with the listener and say, do you think you can, you know, phrase this in a way that is more related to your, your personal habits. Um, An example of that was toward the end of season one, we had someone who was overwhelmed by the amount of uh, like, plastic and trash piling up in their bins. Um, and they were like, well, this is just such a big problem. And we said, okay, well, as as we approach the holidays, like, what is it that you are personally worried about? And she's like, well, how do I celebrate the holidays without having my life just like filled with all of this plastic? Like, what am I supposed to do? So once we framed it into the, what do I do frame work, <laughs> then it fits the episode. And we can still um, handle those kind of topics that people want to cover as long as it sort of fits the, the podcast format and leaves audiences with some tangible solutions that they can apply. 
Well, I think that's a that's a great idea and something that uh, we had uh, had a chance to discuss with Senator Ben Allen on the program as he was one of the authors of the uh, plastics legislation that went through within the last year. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of fascinating the the journey that it took. And it, and it took in part a lot of citizens who cared about this issue. And and it's still uh, not a complete solution to our plastics problem, but it was a big step in the right direction. And, and California, again, was in the vanguard in creating new uh, rules regarding plastics that that essentially no other place on the planet has has gone to that level. Um, so yeah. Senator Allen is a great example because we had him on the podcast also to answer a a listener's question about like how do I get my political leaders to care because this plastic problem is so big. So we had him on and we were like, well, how do we get you and your colleagues to care? And his answer was like, well, you got to call me up. Like a lot of times the decisions that I'm making are based on my constituents, like showing up at meetings or calling my office and saying, we want to do something or like a, a lobbying group or some sort of political activist group, like helping draft legislation that he then puts to his colleagues to try and, and turn it into a law. That ended up being a really helpful, actionable um, episode based on just the, oh God, plastics are scary question that we had. Right. And fortunately, Senator Allen is, is such a, an incredible public servant and, and very approachable. So that's it's kind of seemingly less scary. And I think having him on our respective shows to like let the audience know, hey, this is somebody who's very approachable and super nice guy. And we should be asking him to do the things that we need done here in California. And um, not that he can just snap his fingers and make them happen, but it's a step in that direction for sure. Yeah, exactly. And and that bill that you mentioned, um, 383, can't actually remember the number, but the bill that you mentioned is a really good example of that and a good example of California, you know, punching above its weight. So even if we have a listener in Montana, I know we do, um, that, that bill is going to affect how companies handle their plastic packaging and Therefore, it's going to make a difference in Montana, just like it will in, in California. Eventually, it kind of shows industry the way that, hey, we can do this. Um, and it's uh, SB 54. Uh, thank you. Assistant uh, Sasha has put that up in the chat. So thank you, Sasha. Uh, and that was the bill, the California bill targeting plastic pollution through recycling mandates. So, um, yeah, it's. If we show that we can do it and it's viable, because that's one of the things that the industry is constantly saying, oh, you're going to kill us if if you make the change in this law. And and the truth is that um, that industry can survive those changes and has survived all kinds of regulations that make it harder to pollute. So um, that's what we need to do now. On the holiday front, uh, that's that's a good one too. Like we all can probably use less trash when we're celebrating the holidays, and not a, not always the easiest thing to do, but it's it's a step that each individual can do. Um, I know one of my uh, friends in the environmental movement is always kind of talking 
talking about the hypocrisy of the people on private jets um, preaching about environmentalism. What, are, what What's your take on whether or not policymakers are walking the walk as well as talking the talk? Um, the, the private jet conversation is a really like simple example of that, that like that is one of the worst things you can do for the planet. Yeah, I think I think there are examples of people doing that. Um, usually during the COP conferences, that's a great time to make to have that criticism because you have people flying in from all over the world. And did you really need to send that many people? And did you really need to take a plane that isn't commercial? You know, um, yeah, I think there are good examples of of political leaders making those um, decisions uh, that are sometimes not in line with the the talk that they're talking to use your phrase yeah i think that uh, we need to hold them accountable and and say hey well uh, you need to you need to walk the walk and and uh want to hold you to a higher standard um so where where do you see the anti-dread climate podcast going in the future what's uh what we should we be looking for you know, season one, we were dealing with really like tangible things that you can go home and do the next day. Season two, we have decided to pick up some of these um, kind of headier topics. Like I said, climate anxiety is one of the ones that we're dealing with. Um, another one is is relationships with your, your family, um, trying to broach big discussions related to climate with others. Um, these are the kind of things that affect us day to day and are worth doing, um, but are a little less straightforward than the, well, how do I recycle question, uh, which still was our most popular. So, you know, I, I think I think we had a lot of success with the should I have children type question or how do I have children in a way that's climate friendly. Um, we got a lot of positive responses and, and sort of thankful reactions to things like that. And so I think we're we're hoping to continue in that vein, um, making people feel comfortable in the discussions that we're having and comfortable asking the scarier questions so that they can be a part of the solution in every form, the easy and the hard tasks. Well, I, I really like the practical approach and and the fact that you're making it very clear what people can do to make a difference. And so I, I greatly encourage uh, the audience to check out your anti-dread climate podcast at KCRW and uh, tune into your program. Uh, it's great chatting with you and wish you all the best going forward. And check out our podcast at climatechange.com. And as I said earlier, subscribe, follow us on Apple or iHeart or Spotify and, and we will plant a tree in your honor. So everybody have a great week. Look forward to having you tune in next week. We can change the world.